You're about to listen to an episode where we talk about hunting. So you might be interested in my free guide on how to get started in deer hunting in Ireland. To get it, go to deerhunting.ie or click on the link in the show notes. From this guide, you will learn how to get a deer hunting license, obtain a firearm certificate, and get permission to hunt deer on a chosen piece of land. Everything is explained in simple language and in easy-to-follow steps. Get my free guide on how to get started in deer hunting in Ireland. Simply go to deerhunting.ie or click on the link in the show notes. You are tuning in to an archived episode of the Tommy's Outdoors Conservation and Science Podcast. After you finish listening to it, why not take a moment to listen to one of the most recent episodes? I'm sure you'll enjoy it. This is Tommy's Outdoors 57. And I feel like this episode is overdue at least few months. I feel like I owe you that episode. Because I know there's many of you out there who are waiting for the podcast about the Wild Deer Association of Ireland. The wait is over. That day is today. Because I am pleased to bring you my conversation with David Dunn from the Wild Deer Association of Ireland. Oh, and before you go, please rate that podcast on the app that you're using to listen to this podcast right now. Whether this is an app on your phone or you're listening to that podcast on the website, or maybe on YouTube, rate the podcast, leave the comment, leave the review, uh, click five stars, click like button. This is big help for me and for the podcast. And now, without any further ado, Wild Deer Association of Ireland with David Dunn. David, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me here, Tony. All right, it's a it's a pleasure to have you. It's been it's been a while. I think it was like a first time uh, over a year ago yeah. when when uh, I don't remember when I meet you, but I met the guys from the Wild Deer Association of Ireland on the Rat Walk. Yeah, and we finally we finally got together. We finally got together. Got together. Hello. Okay, so let's let's start just laid out uh, for for our listeners. Uh, who you are, what you do in Wild Deer Association of Ireland, and maybe what a Wild Deer Association of Ireland is. Well, the Wild Deer Association of Ireland was started up in 1981. It started off as the Southern Deer Society, and then it expanded and became a kind of national because it wasn't just stalkers from down south that were involved. It became stalkers from all over Ireland. So that's when the name was changed to Wild Deer Association of Ireland. My role in the Wild Deer Association of Ireland is uh, events organiser. Right. I am a former uh, chairman of the organisation and have been involved with a lot of the butchery displays and butchery demonstrations and organising events for it, including range days and things like that. So I have a long history with the yeah. Wild Deer Association for of Ireland. For the famous butchery demonstration. Yeah, the I... butchery demos are very popular. It's one of our most popular events uh, during the year is the butchery demo and uh, our shoot. 
But in recent years, we've really upped the ante by increasing the amount of events that we run. And um, the year before last, we ran uh, 12 events. Whoa. That's nearly one event every month. And some were very successful and some were just mm-hmm. like testing the waters to see what yeah. the reaction was. The idea behind all the events is to actually bring in uh, memberships. And mm-hmm. that because we want to be, we are at present the strongest uh, deer organization with mm-hmm. the largest volume of members right. at present. Um and that and uh, we just want to increase this like and the Wild Deer Association of Ireland is a members organization and if you are a member of the organization that gives you every much uh, say as the next guy and all your suggestions while we have formed a committee and we have a committee and a chairman but as a member of the organization any suggestions or anything you suggest to us will be heard and will go in front of the committee mm-hmm. and that and uh, if the committee agree to it and we think it should benefit the organization that idea will go ahead and go forward right. but um only recently we ran um a dog tracking event. Yes, and, I was. Uh, I was on one of those. I was one on, on one of those. It yeah, was, it yeah, was great that, because that, you could actually see how the dogs in the yes. demonstration. And I think that one of the attendees actually brought his own dog. That's correct. And, and Frank own, Byrne. Yes, and Frank and, and, and Neil. And, yeah, yeah, and and they're some of the top guys in their field, and they really know what they're doing, and we're we're delighted to have them on board. And um, they really contribute to that event immensely. Number mm-hmm. one, last year they brought their own dogs mm-hmm. and uh, they just showed everyone that went to that event, they all walked away with a greater understanding and a greater knowledge of um, uh, tracking of wounded deer. Yeah. And like, it's only right that people do have access to a dog that can track deer because sometimes, mm-hmm. as you know, it's hunting and it's live animals. So if something does go wrong, that yeah. you know someone who has a dog and that's trained to track yeah. and deer recovery. And Frank and Neil are top of their field in this. Mm-hmm. So, And they came back again this year. This year, it was more a training day and people brought their dogs. Yeah. And, and people yeah. were just stunned at what the guys could get their dogs to do in such a short period of time. Right. What happens most people is they underestimate their dogs huh. and that. But the dogs have a natural nose and a natural instinct. Mm-hmm. And with the proper guidance, you can end up with a really good tracking dog. Yeah. And that dog could be anything from a Spaniel to a Jack Russell to a Bavarian Bloodhound to a Teakle to anything. Any oh. dog with a good nose can track deer if given correct training. That's, that's, that's right. And, you know, even, I, even though I don't have a dog, I was on that training and I took a lot, took away a lot of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I, I know a guy who has a dog and always at the beginning of the season, I give him a call and say, hey, you know, remember our arrangement that if I have a problem, I'm going to ring you up. You're going to help me. Yeah. I never had to use his help so far. But even the, the, the simple thing like, you know, you don't you don't go to the shot to the shot site and, you know, put mm-hmm. your shoes into the actually all the sense and then you walk around yeah. and then you're just going to confuse the dog. So even that was yeah. very, very uh, important knowledge and learning for, yeah. for even for a person who doesn't have a dog like, like, uh, like me. And that is also one of the events that proves to be hugely popular. And as you mentioned earlier, the deer butchery and the demonstration and that which um, uh, I coordinate uh, that and those butchery events are hugely popular. Yeah. Um, uh, we do, we're doing it in recent years at the Midlands Range and we incorporate a shoot 
uh, along with the butchery event. Mm. So after the butchery event, we do disease identification and we go through the whole carcass and everyone there, and I have to say our committee is very strong and dedicated, everyone there is very approachable mm-hmm. and we're very open to questions on, on anything and anyone that raises their hand the only silly question as we say is the question that's not asked mm. and people just once the questions start coming they can come hot and heavy yeah. and we're only delighted that we're interacting with the people and that we, ca- we are there and we will help them in any way we can and we'll answer any of the questions be it on disease identification to the skinning techniques to the breaking down of a carcass all that is covered on the day yeah. and I think we're the only organisation doing that at present mm-hmm. and that and it's as I said it's hugely popular. Yeah, I'm I'm not surprised. Are there any deer diseases that that are constituting danger to human? Um well it does be a hot topic sometimes mm-hmm. uh is TB in deer. Yeah. Um while it always brings up uh a heated debate between yeah. the farming community, the deer stalkers and everything. While I've been stalking deer in over 30 years, and my 30 years of stalking deer, and I stalk both Sika uh, and mm-hmm. Fallow generally with some reds mm-hmm. involved, I've only encountered about seven cases, seven, seven positive cases of TB, TB. And that's over a large-scale call. So overall, what I, I'll say on the matter, on, and that is that the national deer herd in general is healthy. And that, and there's very lin- low incidence of uh, disease in deer. What deer can suffer from is um, parasites mm-hmm. such as uh, ticks, mm-hmm. liver fluke, mm-hmm. um, uh, what you call uh, lungworm, and uh, that they, they, they're, they're mammals and they can cover it. They also are are very resilient. And that, and even if a deer had something like liver fluke, mm-hmm. and that, and you see all the scarring on the liver, and that, most of these animals will survive, and yeah. that, and most of the parasitic um, uh, things that deer pick up, they don't actually affect the quality of the carcass. Okay. If it affects the offal, mm-hmm. it's only the offal that should be disposed of. It doesn't right. condemn the carcass. So we have that. we don't have a danger that you know no, there's no, there's no the danger. As, we'll as, as I said. Uh, overall, the wild deer herd in Ireland mm-hmm. is healthy. Yeah. And um, by all accounts, it, it's growing in some areas. Some areas, we hear stories of steep decline for whatever reasons. Mm-hmm. And other areas, uh, there is hot spots, and especially areas being fed by national parks and uh, state forestries mm-hmm. where deer are in high densities. Um, these can actually spill out onto private lands and farm and private forestry where there can be an issue. So that's where culling and proper deer management comes in. And we at the Wild Deer Association want to mm-hmm. promote this, the proper methods of culling, best practices, and then safe handling of the meat yeah. and safe handling of the deer. Yeah, And of course, we look at it as it to be done as humanely as possible. Mm-hmm. And even at that, that's where the, the tracking event comes in for deer recovery. If yeah. something does go wrong, the, our members have access to a tracking dog for deer recovery. You know, yeah. like every stalker, one, every stalker 
respects the quarry he's after. And best practice is to dispatch the animal as quickly and humanely as possible. And then the responsibility after the dispatch is it actually turns to food. And once it becomes food, the safe handling of that carcass and the methods in which it's transported to the larder and how it's prepared, that all this is done best practice and it's done hygienically and safely. And that's what we're all about. Best practices. Yeah. And, uh, you know, listeners to this podcast can can look up on, on YouTube. There are videos. Of yeah, your, yeah. Of your I have a, I have a YouTube um, uh, channel, which anyone can key me in, David Dunn. And I have loads of butchery mm-hmm. uh, demonstrations on field grolicking and skinning mm-hmm. and other butchery tips. Yeah. Um, back... Back a good number of years ago, I think I was the first in Ireland to produce, I produced um, three films on deer uh, management and it involved the culling of deer, um, the butchery of deer and the safe handling of deer. And uh, back then when DVDs were popular, Mm -hmm. they they were a huge success and actually at the time, uh, when I made those films, it wasn't for self-profit or anything, Uh, the donation uh, was made to the Wild Deer Association oh, wow. at the time. Great. So all the profit from those DVDs was turned into the Wild Deer Association at that's, the time because great. the Wild Deer Association at the time was an organization that I believed in. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 great and it's great to hear. I noticed on those videos uh, that your technique, what I noticed on this, your technique is you're you're not cutting around the anus. No. You're kind of cutting inside a carcass and you're leaving yeah. it. You're leaving yeah. it. Because That's everything that, else that I saw is like, like the, yeah. you know, you start the, the, cutting around. The reason, the reason, Tommy, I do that is because the extraction of the deer, you do, I keep the cuts to the minimum. Mm-hmm. And uh, around the anus and things like that, I don't want any contamination going in there. So what I do is when I remove um, the green offal from mm-hmm. inside and that, that I tie off that area. So no feces comes back inside the carcass. Mm-hmm. That's why it's been tied off. It remains inside till I get to the vehicle and then yeah. it can be removed hygienically and then no contaminants can come into that yeah. open area. Yeah, you're, 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 you're right, because quite often you see those videos and you see the guy starts yeah, with cutting yeah. and they have the hold their knife in the feces. Yeah. And then uh, and, that, and then you kind of like a wipe it uh, on yeah, the grass yes. or whatever and proceed that. with cutting all the rest. It's like, oh dude, you have this knife, yeah. you know, you should change the knife or something. Yeah. But but I think I think like as I said, what we're about is best practice. Mm-hmm. And the methods which I show are I keep it simple and mm-hmm. I keep it I keep it the, the introduction to it as clear as possible so really with a bit of practice anyone can achieve the results i'm getting yeah. all it takes is practice yeah. and of course a sharp oh, knife practice practice but practice right that's, that's it a, i'm not surprised that the deer butchering events are are so popular because i think this is like a the most intimidating part yes. at least for like i'm i'm very new right uh, th- this season is my third season when i when i started hunting probably listeners of this podcast are sick of me saying that because i'm saying that all the time like i started as an angler and i kind of naturally progress after many years of fishing i say well you know actually fishing is all is, is hunting yes so i kind of move and uh and like for me that was like a, the most kind of serious part of it and a lot of people think like, oh, actually shooting the deer, you know, taking animals' life is this this like most serious part. And it's not a small thing. But actually then taking proper care That's it, is, yeah. it could be incredibly intimidating, you know. Mm. And and if you don't have a, like somebody who, t- who show you 
right? Because if you go with your buddies or maybe your father showed you, you kind of know how to yeah. do it. But if you're starting on your own, well, it's it's like, whoa, how am I going to do this, mm -hmm. right? I believe it's so the first time was, was is very intimidating. So I'm not surprised that a lot of people are interested in that. Well, of all the sports and, and um, shooting sports in Ireland, the one that's constantly growing is deer stalking. Mm -hmm. There is at present, I think there's over 5,200 uh, deer license issued by National Parks and Wildlife mm -hmm. at present. Mm -hmm. And this seems to be growing on a yearly basis. So the sport of um, deer management and deer stalking is gaining popularity. Mm -hmm. But with the amount of new people coming into the sports, I think it's good to be part of something or part of an organisation where the likes of these events can show you and advise you. And as I say, our committee are all decent guys with a, a keen interest in deer stalking. And if they can help you in any way, yeah. everyone there will help you. Yeah. And we're the most approachable group uh, going like as I say we have a really good committee really strong chairman and uh, and we're all about the promotion of the sport and uh, presenting the sport to the public in a positive manner yeah so so obviously um, any deer stalker or hunter or beginning hunter maybe even advanced hunter who is not a member of Wild Deer Association of Ireland listening to this now they should join because they will have an access to all those events. It's, these yeah. are these are members only events. Okay, and and for the cost of it, a yearly subscription to the Wild Deer Association at uh, twenty twenty five euro, mm -hmm. and the amount of events you get from that, and also you we're contactable if there is an issue with anything. Uh, say even if you have a question on a carcass or you mm -hmm. spotted something unusual, you mm -hmm. can contact us and we'll advise you. There'd be no bother if you contact our secretary, he'll put in contact with me and you tell me your issues mm -hmm. or your problem. You'll get good, sound advice from experienced people who know. Yeah. And that we have experts on our panel on the dog handling. We have um, experts on our panel on uh, range and rifles and ballistics. And then we have myself there doing the butchery, disease identification mm -hmm. and everything else. So mm -hmm. what do you call it? It, it is for for the fee that's been charged, you do get good value for money. Yeah, I definitely yeah, believe in yeah, that. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Um, listen, just to wrap it up, the subject of, of meat handling and, and carcass handling, what would be, in your opinion, one thing that everybody should pay attention when they're handling carcass? Like if, if you had to put like a one thing that is most important when you have a deer on the ground and you start, so what would it be? It would be to keep the cuts to a minimum. The bleeding cut should be kept as, as small as possible, maybe three, four inches. That's enough. You don't have to cut across the throat or anything like mm -hmm. that. The whole idea of carcass handling is to keep everything hygienic. And if mm -hmm. by keeping it hygienic, you're keeping it safe. So keep the cuts to a minimum. My advice is, if you're dragging it out, don't remove the bung or the anus till you get back to your vehicle mm -hmm. uh, and that. And... Uh, Always, always lift your carcass over water. If you have to cross yeah. water, do not drag your carcass through water or stream. That's contaminating it. Mm -hmm. And that, and even a lot of guys, which will happen any shooter, it happened even myself, and that when a shot does go wrong and you end up the bullet passing through the green offal mm -hmm. and that, another mistake a lot of people do is by washing out the inside of the carcass mm -hmm. it's the worst thing you can do it, it actually spreads e coli mm -hmm. 
Ah. inside carcass and that's only spreading bacteria while inside the carcass might appear clean you're actually putting bacteria everywhere so as we say don't wash you trim and if you mm-hmm. if it does go wrong and anyone that's stalking any length of time a shot will go wrong the animal will turn slightly at the last minute perfect broad shot, side shot all of a sudden becomes an angle shot and that bullet has gone down a bit and passed through the green offal and they think by washing all that out the animals fit no if, if that happens mm-hmm. and the inside of your carcass is contaminated uh the first thing i do is i would not use anything on the inside of the carcass because mm-hmm. uh you have e coli you have salmonella all from the green offal from bacteria inside the gut so mm-hmm. that's a mistake some people make but as i say one advice is keep cuts to a minimum and don't drag your carcass if you're removing it through water yeah, that's a that's a very good advice. Uh, I actually, I actually never 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 thought of that. Um, tell me, is is uh, wild deer association involved in any? Is that what you do? Like any any uh, you know national campaigns or advocating um, in any anything? We we do we have we have in the past have run mm-hmm. uh, campaigns and we have been involved in uh, shine light on poaching, which mm-hmm. was a media campaign. Yeah. Um, we ran another similar campaign just on the legalities of using night vision and thermal vision. Yes. And cleared up the matter and made it clear mm-hmm. what. Uh, laws are regarding mm. using this equipment yeah. and that um can you lay it out for us what's what well if if you f- it in ireland it's illegal to fit a night vision or a device capable of night vision onto a firearm mm-hmm. without an amendment to your license yes that means you have to seek permission to fit a night vision device or a thermal device to your rifle okay and then and it's that, l- and that on goes your onto your pulse Mm-hmm. So some people think it's a letter or something, but it's an amendment to your pulse. So if you hand in your license, which has a certificate number, mm-hmm. and they look you up on pulse, there'll be an amendment to your pulse saying that you have been granted permission to fit a night vision uh, device to your rifle. Right. It's not handed out willy-nilly. You, mm-hmm. you do have to give good reason yeah. and good cause. Uh, gamekeepers that do a lot of fox control work uh, mm-hmm. get it, um, but you'd have to put in a good case for it with your local superintendent. Yeah. But that's a that's it. a that's a device that's actually on your rifle that yeah, allows fitted, you to, yeah, to shoot. Yeah, to your but what about the night you know night vision binoculars? Hand, for hand, example? Night vision binoculars, or or even infrared that detects the, the, the heat. That's the thermal. The yeah, thermal, the thermal. Yeah. Um, a lot of this stuff is coming on board and as you know most of the laws in Ireland they're always catching up Mm -hmm. and this equipment is getting so readily available it's coming down on price and it's getting more and more advanced it's taking a while for the law to catch up Mm -hmm. but the only thing I'll say on the matter once a device is fitted to your rifle you need an amendment to your pulse Mm -hmm. to allow you to do it and you have to apply for it if you are, um, are caught using this device without this amendment to your license mm-hmm. and permission being given by the local superintendent. Now, I must state that this permit is normally given for vermin control work. Yeah. It's not given for deer stalking. Yeah, because you don't even, yeah. you, you can't yeah. even, it, you yeah. know, because, it's not you know, legal light. The, the law says that um, deer t- stalking takes place uh, legally one hour before sunrise and one hour after sunset. Absolutely. So anything after that is considered nighttime shooting mm-hmm. and that. So... 
just to keep right of the law. My advice is if you want to get night vision and uh, and you want it for vermin control, go speak to your local firearms officer and he'll advise you on the route to go. Yeah. But um, as I said, uh, if, if you're determined and you ha- do a lot of fox control work, yeah. these devices are quite expensive and a huge yeah. investment. And that um, I'd speak to the firearms officer for advice for us and maybe even speak to the super yeah. and give your reasons for wanting sure, one. Sure, because uh, one of the advice I got is to get uh, binoculars with, with thermal to find you know if you can't find the deer yeah ter- thermal thermal um spotters or thermal handheld are very useful in the aid uh, especially in header or bracken mm-hmm. for deer recovery yes exactly uh, and that uh, they, they have their uses uh, and that mm-hmm. but as i say the way the laws are and there's amendments to the laws all the yeah. time that it's um if if you want any advice you're better off speaking to national parks or speaking to uh your local uh, Garda station, and they yeah. will. There is a set um, set of rules yes. regarding this equipment yeah. and that. So, just as not to run foul at law, mm-hmm. I, I, I I advise anyone that's t- considering purchasing uh, these items mm-hmm. to speak to national parks or speak to Angarda Shiakana for yeah. best advice. Yeah, sure, sure. So we were talking about these uh, campaigns that uh, that the association was involved. So that was one of them. That was one of them was just making people aware and yeah. we researched. And a shine light of And shine poaching. light and poaching is just, um, that was to uh, highlight uh, poaching. Like, um, I don't want to get bogged down in poaching mm-hmm. because, you know, poaching has always been there mm-hmm. and it, it continues to be, especially when people look at the deer as a commercial asset. Yeah. And it can be turned into cash. Yeah. And anything that can be turned into cash, criminals will look at it mm-hmm. in a different light. But um, what do you call it? It is there. But as I say, it's the responsibility of Angarda Siakana, which work on the laws that are already in place and national parks and wildlife uh, responsibility to uh, enforce laws that already exist yeah everyone knows it is illegal to lamp and hunt deer at night time oh, yeah. and it is illegal to shoot deer from a public road but the laws yeah. are there and the laws are in place yeah and um while like everyone knows the laws are there everyone knows the laws are in place it just goes back to enforcement, enforcement after that exactly you know as, as, and we are not the enforcers yeah. we state the laws and that but we are not the enforcers yeah. of yeah. the law okay listen um I'm going to switch the gears here a little bit and uh, ask you a few questions that I'm always asking when I'm talking people involved in some extent in the wildlife, and obviously deer is a wildlife. We don't know how much, how many deers we have in Ireland, right? We didn't have a deer census. And you said that the number of stalkers are increasing, Yes, this, right? Um, and... You hear different things. Some people say like, oh, there's more and more deer. And no, no, there's not enough deer. And like, we don't know. Like, what's your view on that? Should we should we have some campaign well, well, to actually the, campaign to have a I, deer census? I, I, know, I know in Scotland, um, they had a, a helicopter fitted with a thermal. Mm-hmm. And they actually did a count in certain areas mm-hmm. now. And that count revealed accurate figures on the number of deer that's on the ground. Mm-hmm. My opinion at present, while a lot of areas, deer numbers have come down, mm-hmm. 
population has dropped due to maybe pressure on the ground from the increase in stalking and stalkers or maybe uh, the increase in the illegal taking of deer in certain areas, especially in rural parts of the country. But um, then there's hotspots where there's high densities of deer, which has been fed off of national parks and big quilts of forestries. And that's like um, a funnel which is pushing deer out onto private property, farms mm-hmm. and private forestry. Th- that will exist. So while some areas, I definitely agree that the population has gone up, but I'll also agree that in some other areas, the population has actually decreased. Yes. Um, a good example of this is for, I'm, I've been stalking over 30 years myself, and I used to, because it's so close to my hometown in Ross Grey, uh, the Kennedy area, and that I've seen a dramatic decrease in the deer population there, which is fallow. Mm-hmm. Um, my reasons for it, like all the woods in the Kinnity area are leased out for stalking. There's a lot of new stalkers on the ground. And then there has been recorded incidents of the illegal taking of deer. Mm-hmm. And I find that area now, the deer population compared to, say, 10, 15 years ago, is definitely down 50 to 70% on what it was, which is dramatic. While I also hunted, I hunt the Wicklow area, and I I, I see there that there's a a steady increase in the number of Sika, and Mm -hmm. the area I hunt is actually being fed off of national parks and some of the big Quilsha areas, and Mm -hmm. and, and the deer are increasing. The, The only way, as I say to guys, while I don't condone trophy hunting, I, mm-hmm. I think anyone that wants to go for a nice trophy, that's their mm-hmm. business, and I say fair play to them. And it is lovely to set that challenge for yourself of passing everything mm-hmm. and going for a Pacific animal. Mm-hmm. And it's a very Pacific skill to get an animal of quality. Mm-hmm. And that, and I have nothing against trophy hunting. But I think every hunter has a responsibility to manage the females mm-hmm. and that. Um, and uh, in some of the high-density areas, like uh, I, I was there during the week and I, I went into one area, and the, the high population is in one area is, is, is way too high. Yes. They, they need to come down. And the only way you'll impact on deer numbers yeah. is the proper management of the females. Yes. And that. So it should be, if you have, it's very hard here in Ireland because a lot of the shooting in Ireland is given out by landowners and and private shooting on the goodwill of landowners. And while we all really appreciate it, we might manage that piece of land on our own. So the normal attitude towards deer hunting is if there's four or five other guys hunting it. So if you're hunting it and if it's a male and it's in season, Mm-hmm. You take it. If it's a female, it's in season. There's no management plan. Yes. But if you have a piece of ground that you have exclusive, you should really look into a management plan. And mm-hmm. if you want to bring on good trophies, proper deer management is what will will uh, bring on good trophies. If you take out anything that looks poorly or will never produce, mm-hmm. um, as I call them, scraggly books mm-hmm. or uh, stags, if you remove them, if you take out old females, old females don't generally throw a good calf and mm-hmm. that or a good do- uh, fawn. If you, if you do a management plan in an area that you have exclusive, 
the benefits to that area and the benefits for the deer is 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 really good. One of the areas that I manage up in Wicklow, there is not enough grazing and food on that ground for the amount of deer there. So even last year, when the year we had the really hard winter, this really impacted on the deer and dead deer actually turned up on the ground. Hmm. And that's that's not good. That's yeah. that's not good when you see deer dying for of, uh, exposure and starvation yeah, during the winter. So proper deer management benefits both the deer, mm-hmm. number one, because if you have a managed population, as deer have no natural predators it's our Mm -hmm. responsibility to manage the herds and if they're managed correctly that will benefit the deer but it also benefits the environment it it benefits tree growth it benefits shrubbery it benefits far you have to keep a balance and that's what hunting is all about finding the right balance absolutely does it not worry you that in fact we don't have a management plan, like a national management plan. Because what, what you said is like, it's up to every, you know, individual who have a exclusive, uh, you know, or maybe not exclusive rights to shoot deer on, on certain areas. But there is no, you know, people might be incompetent. People might, might so it's, it's kind of a little bit worrying that we have a national uh, wildlife and, and national parks who issue a license, but actually... You know, it, it, it struck me when I was doing HCAP exam, right? Where um, the first thing is uh, do your call plan and do your everything that you're saying, yeah. best practice, know how many females you have, know how many mm. stags you have, do the plan, and then you can call, right? That's the first thing they're saying, that you need to have a plan and you need to know population in the area. But then when we go on the country level, we have no idea what's happening in the country and that's not really regulated because, you know... Ideally, the when you're getting a license, ideally, may, uh, maybe not ideally, you can comment on that in a second, saying like, okay, Tommy, where are you stalking? Oh, I'm stalking in Kerry area in this land, right? Mm. And they said, okay, in this land, you can take one stag and six females. And then it's kind of regulated some way by people who know what's up, they are more experienced than I am, Right. Well, at the moment, it's like, okay, here's a license and Tommy can go in and can just just do whatever Tommy wants, which is 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 that not worrying? There's no regulation on private land. And uh, while a lot of landowners will um, absorb a certain amount of deer on their land and not mind, but when they go out onto their land and uh, farms, especially if they have a field set aside for cattle or sheep or anything, and they go out and see 10 or 15 deer grazing it away, that's actually impacting on their income. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and that's when, like, when wildlife impacts on incomes of private individuals, they just look at them not as an asset, to look at them as a pest. Yes. And that, and that's where they'll say they want the numbers reduced or some landowners want them removed and that so as most of the land in ireland is privately owned Mm -hmm. it's up to the individual who owns the land Mm -hmm. he can implicate a plan if he wishes to yeah and he said like i know a few landowners will who will say yeah you can take a few and i don't mind and i like having them around the place don't shoot them all don't shoot them all Mm. you can take a few and that and there's other landowners you can go shoot them all i want rid of them 
Yeah. And that's so, and but that's my but that's my point. Yeah, but do you see on private land, we the government nor the stalker has no say on privately okay. owned land. And as we say in law, a deer belongs to no one. A yeah. deer is a free roaming animal, and it belongs to no one. The only time it becomes property is when it's shot, yes. and then you are now the owner of the carcass. Mm-hmm. But a deer itself is not owned by anyone. It's free roaming, and yeah. that so. Even though the landowner might own the land, he doesn't actually own the deer till the deer is shot and then becomes a yeah. carcass and then it becomes private ownership yeah. and that. Mm. So it's different attitudes. It, as I say, most most of the land in Ireland is privately owned. So to put in a management plan and tell people what they can and can't do on their own private land I'm afraid, Tommy, it's never going to work. They wouldn't go their own way. It isn't, it isn't going to work. Now, Quilsha, when you take out mm-hmm. a Quilsha lease, they give you a call and they tell you, okay, this wood here is up uh, 16 females, 6 males. And that's the call given out on uh, that area. Mm-hmm. Now, that, again, can be questionable as to the proof and the enforcement of this call. Yeah. And if... Uh, if it goes above or below that, it just depends. They're going on the returns from the stalkers yeah. and that. But there is an actual call plan for Quilsha mm-hmm. uh, lets. And other private forestries are now getting into deer letting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Greenbelt let out woods now and Vion Forestries. Yeah, yeah. They're doing uh, leases on woods. Yeah, and some of the forestry groups now are looking at deer as an asset and that they can lease, get an extra... Uh, mm-hmm. income from leasing the sporting rights of these forestries yeah. and letting stalkers on and actually the stalkers are doing them a favor by reducing mm-hmm. uh, uh, the deer herd so yeah. they're getting an income and they're also getting uh, deer management done free yeah. of charge yeah. to them yeah. no that's a good, that's a very good point david you know i'm i'm all thinking like to avoid the situation when the areas will be just you know no deer at all Uh, and then you have an area like in Wicklow, right, where there's like a, a oh. plenty of deer. Mm. That's what I'm, and and obviously that's not an easy subject because, like you said, there's a there's a there's a private ownership comes yeah. into play, and then the farmers, you know, if they want to get rid of deer from their own land, then yeah. you're probably talking about some sort of a compensation schemes if they have a deer on their land. No, they don't. They don't have. Oh I yeah, but I'm saying if we, you if, know, if they did, yeah, if we if we impose like a national management plan. Well, there, there was the national uh, deer management forum where mm-hmm. yeah our relative bodies got up and meet and uh, discussed a national deer plan. But um, I think that's gone for over two years now. And there was some good suggestions and good ideas. There was bad ideas, of course, mm-hmm. and that. But it seemed to have uh, faded faded away. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But in some areas, what's what's happening now, there's, what I've noticed, there's deer in areas where there was never deer before. Yeah. They're turning up. But if deer get them under pressure in one area and they're being pushed out yes. and there's deer turning up in areas where there was never deer, we're getting phone calls from places that never seen a deer ever and they're all of a sudden a farmer's going out and he's seen deer in his land and in his lifetime he's never seen deer there. Yeah. So if deer are under pressure, they will be pushed out into other areas and that. And also if deer become pressured, especially the Sika, 
mm-hmm. especially from morning to daytime stalking, that, they come completely nocturnal. Mm-hmm. And this makes it very uh, difficult to do any management. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in problem areas, uh, national parks and wildlife, especially in the Wickley area, are issuing a lot of uh, Section 42s with an yes. attachment mm-hmm. for nighttime shooting. But okay. um, again, this isn't handed out uh, too easily. You, you really, mm-hmm. it's up to the wildlife ranger in that area to see if this ground has the number of deer that it's claimed to have and that they are doing the destruction mm-hmm. that what is claimed to be done. And then pending on that information, a Section 42 will be granted. And then a person with a Section 42 must have completed a course be it yeah. um, HCAP or the DTC level mm-hmm. one, yeah. which is um, the alternative yeah. uh, to HCAP. Yeah. They must have that course. I think that HCAP is becoming mandatory from next season. Right? Um, they're, they're talking about that. Mm-hmm. It's coming up. It's not going to be mandatory. It's coming up for review. Okay. It's coming up for review. I know that the uh, new stalkers, they have to, they, they know if you're applying for the first time for a license, I think you have to. They're on about it, but nothing mm-hmm. is written in stone. And okay. we, I often get questioned on this. Yes. And, and, uh, but as I say to people, it's, it's best to have some kind of a course done. And it, the courses aren't expensive. And yeah. um, anyone that does the course, I'm involved in the DTC1 training course. Mm-hmm. And anyone that comes to these courses will walk away with a greater knowledge and greater understanding of deer, the legalities and everything so there is yeah. benefits in doing it and Absolutely. when it becomes mandatory they'll have it done yeah. while i'm not telling them it's going to be become it comes up for review uh, soon yeah. and then the powers that be will decide whether they will make it management but yeah. with such an increase in deer year on um i i i think that there should be some form a formal training yes. for anyone with the amount of high power oh, abso- rifles. Absolutely. Like absolutely. Just, just on the grounds of safety, yeah. I think, I don't think anyone should be with no knowledge or no shooting experience should just go get a permission note, yeah. um, go get a deer license, get a high powered rifle. I yeah. think there should be, my opinion, mm-hmm. should be some form of training. While in the past it was passed down maybe from your father or you went out with friends that did it and you kind of were introduced to it that way. But, there's other guys that said, I want to go deer stalking mm-hmm. and to get permission. And uh, I think to those people, some form of training and be it legalities and best practice and suitable firearms, all this information is available at these courses. Yeah. So there is benefits in taking the course. I, I absolutely agree with you. And actually on, on my YouTube channel, Tommy's Outdoors YouTube channel, I make the uh, two-part video series on the HCAP exam where I'm mm-hmm. actually going through like how how useful that is and how, yeah. how useful I found it um, to have it uh, to, to to do it and on the exam itself you know I uh, the the guy who was uh, on the sh- on the range test the guy who was next to me uh, he he couldn't group six inches you know hundred yards prone position yeah so I thought like I I don't want this guy stalking on the same land as I am because it's it's like you know if if you can't handle firearm in you know in the basic yeah. kind of manner it's like it's just dangerous very yeah, it's dangerous. dangerous and and then on the uh, grounds of humanely dispatching the animal mm-hmm. like there should be a minimum 
yeah. standard of required marksmanship yes. that you can humanely dispatch e- an animal exactly. at a given distance. Exactly. And, that, you, know, and you have every, a, your every, muzzle control, you know yeah. what you're doing and, and yeah. all this stuff. Absolutely. And, uh, absolutely. And, and you know from doing that exam, the guys at the Midlands Range are only too willing to help and absolutely. advise on the day. Oh, like, yeah. No one wants you to fail your exam and mm-hmm. that. But um, as I say, it, it, it is best that you do some form of relative training, especially if you're going to get into deer stalking and you weren't introduced to it by maybe your father mm-hmm. or true friends and that. Yes. But that there is some form of training and, yeah. uh, and you know, how you, to identify deer, um, males, females, everything. Mm-hmm. There's some guys that just, just don't understand, even the legalities of it yeah. and, and that, you know. So, yeah. it, as I say, all forms of education regarding stalking are positive. Yes. Um, David, we, we, we mentioned, you know, we waded in into the subject of farming and private property and all that. So maybe on that note, um, what do you think, you know, as a hunter and as a, you know, just, just, just thinking, you know, wishful think, thinking, there's a lot of talks about rewilding. Would you like to see wild boar and wolves being back on the landscape in Ireland. Now, now that there's a two parts of it, like, would you like this to happen if you were living in a hypothetical world? And then number two, do you see this actually ever happening? Well, I'm lucky to, enough to have um, hunted in uh, uh, Slovakia, Poland and Ukraine. And I've, I've seen the destruction that wild boar can do. And my opinion is Ireland is so heavily dependent on agriculture. And I think if you introduce a species that has been extinct for quite a long time and agriculture has evolved a lot since that time, I think the impact on an introduced species could be detrimental to farming. Like I've seen what four or five boar can do to a field overnight. Mm -hmm. They can literally turn it upside down. So you can imagine some landowner going out to his uh, field of corn and eight or ten boar after being in it all night. It's Mm -hmm. mayhem. It's Mm -hmm. absolutely mayhem. Mm -hmm. And of all the invasive species that I think could establish themselves really quick in Ireland would be the wild boar because Mm -hmm. they can breed and have such large... Uh, groups yeah. at birth would eight to twelve being quite it, it, possible. Exactly, it's twelve. It's a litter is up to twelve, and 12, and, and they know, can have like a two or three a year. Yes, they can establish themselves very very quickly. So just look what happened in Texas. Yeah, right. I know, just and it's a major issue. Yes, it's a major issue. And invasive species do impact on on the environment, on the economy, and. Then when their number becomes too big, they actually impact on themselves. So mm. while me as a hunter, I really enjoyed hunting wild boar, mm-hmm. but I can't be so selfish as to say mm-hmm. the benefits of having them here just for hunting outweigh the costs of having yeah. them here, if that makes sense to you, Tommy. Yeah, oh, abso- absolutely. And especially that even if you're talking about enclosures or anything like that, they will escape. They it's will escape. There's no, uh, like, especially boar, which yes. they're just going to go through they're the fence. Like, yeah. they're, they're, they're unstoppable. Like, yeah. And there already has been wild boar shot and recorded in Ireland. Really? Where small groups were, yeah. There was wild boar shot in Wicklow. There was oh. wild boar shot up near Clonaslee. There was wild boar shot in Cavan. 
and uh, and these were, and there was even recordings of wild boar crossing laneways. So there is a risk and a high risk is it, factor. Is it, it going to happen anyway? Yeah, if 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 wild boar released into to say Wicklow into national parks where there's no shooting going on, they could establish themselves quite rapidly. Rapidly, mm-hmm. like the other invasive species that have turned up occasionally, the likes of um, the munjack. Yes. Like, now munjack. While they're very secretive, and if they were introduced, every year on year off, there is reports of muntjac sightings. And there has actually been a few, a small number of animals actually being shot yeah. here. Well, you even Ireland. have it on your, on your license that you yes. can shoot them all year. Yeah, yeah, it's you there can for shoot the reason. Them all year. As, as, reason. I say, as I say to people, um, you have a better chance of coming across a leprechaun as coming across a munchak. <laughs> about, about equal opportunity on So both. for all those who are hoping yeah, to hoping go ha- hunting in May for munchak. Yes. <laughs> Every, everyone, I've, I've had several people saying mm. the sighted munchak, but mm-hmm. usually ends up being either a fox or a fawn or something. And that. Mm-hmm. Um, there has been uh, animals shot and there was a roadkill of a munchak up, I think it was around Kildare oh, wow. somewhere. So it's quite possible they exist, but they're not in any notif- notable numbers. Uh, numbers. And lately, uh, you've probably heard they're on about reintroducing wolves. Yes. Um, ag- again, mm-hmm. I- I'm thinking of Ireland's agriculture and economy. I can't see the benefits of introducing a species like a wolf. I-, I was so shocked when I actually stood next to a wolf at the actual size of the mm-hmm. animal, I people did don't not people don't realize, right? People think it's like a dog. It's, it's, it's like no it's dog, far from a dog. And and when it yawned, uh, and uh, you could literally fit your head into its mouth. Mm-hmm. It's it is quite huge, and it has, I I, I and it's well capable of taking cattle, calves, mm-hmm. and sheep. Definitely calves and sheep, and that um, whether that's sustainable or an answer, my opinion. As a, as a hunter, I'd love to see him here, mm-hmm. but not being selfish, I think the impact on yeah. um, uh, domestic stock and agriculture would be negative. So yes, yes. I think. But you know, think, the argument is like if you're, you know, like you mentioned, like Wicklow area, there's like a two way too many deer, mm. you know. So one of the arguments, you put a wolf there and they kind of going to yeah. regulate the number of deer. Well, well, they did that in uh, Yellowstone Park, mm-hmm. uh, and that, and they did have a now they have a healthy wolf population where mm-hmm. now they're actually issuing tags for wolves every year to mm-hmm. manage manage the wolves, and yep. it was it was it was kind of a success story there. Yes, with the, when the elk become too populated. Mm-hmm. But that's America, and that's over a vast. The Yellowstone Park is about Ireland. Yes, exa- you know? exactly. It's in, and this is what people, you know. I saw a, a tweet. I think someone, you know, was trying to be very smart about it and do, do this comparison. Mm. And we're talking about the Yellowstone Park. It's like, well, no, the Yellowstone Park is a one thing, but we're talking about the so-called Greater Yellowstone Ecosystem, yeah. which is actually the size of Scotland. Yes. Right, it's so, the size of Scotland, Scotland, so it's like you can't. You, we, we can't yeah, we, really we, compare. We can't. We can't compare. Just, they don't compare. Yeah. So, um, I, I, I think if we manage the animals that we have here already, mm-hmm. um, I don't think invasive species is the answer. Yeah. And just going by history, invasive species generally have a negative yeah. effect 
yeah. where they're introduced. As we know, Sika were introduced yeah. uh, into Ireland. Uh, Lord Powers Court introduced Sika yeah. into Ireland. And now we have Sika, we have Sika from the north to the Midlands, mm-hmm. going right down to Kerry. We, we have Sika everywhere. Yeah. It isn't just confined um, to Wicklow area. Yeah. Like, so we have, we have Sika relatively north and south. The same with red deer. Yeah. A lot of the Man, reds. I love, I love Sika. I, they, oh, I, I think I, they're amazing animals yeah. and they're one of my favorite animals to stalk. Yeah. But we also have reds. Mm-hmm. When back about 20 years ago, when red deer became popular to farm and then that venture failed mm-hmm. and a lot of red deer escaped and were let off and they inter- that introduced uh, different breeds, Bulgarian reds, Hungarian reds, mm-hmm. which were brought in for their size yeah. and mass yeah. and that for meat production. And yeah. they were released into the countryside and like they're in Mayo. Galway, Sligo, mm-hmm. all areas to turn up in Tipperary. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some in the Midlands, Leash. Reds have turned up anywhere. And these are introduced yeah. um, introduced uh, things. As we said, the Reds, at least down in Kerry, are, native have red. always been there mm-hmm. and are a native Reds. Yeah, yeah. And, that. and uh, the population down there is becoming quite high. And um, then it go- goes back to national yeah. parks for the yeah. management and uh, culling of them it's up to the powers to be that yeah. uh, this is calling see as as i say deer have no predators they need to be managed mm-hmm. and management is the responsibility of the people and the stalkers on the ground it's also the responsibility of the landowners whose property these animals uh, vacate yeah. so it's it's best that's why the wild deer association it's all about best practice and we're here to, as I say, we're here to advise. Yeah. And if anything we can do to help our members or any question, the only silly question is a question that's not asked. Mm, that's what we always say. Put up your hand, ask a question, contact us, ask a question. With the panel we have in place at the moment, your question will get a correct and proper answer, be it from uh, our deer stalking experts to the legalities of it, we have people on board that will answer and give you best advice. Yeah. I want to connect now three subjects where we, we spoke about wolves, we spoke about reintroduced red deer, and uh, I was talking to gamekeeper in Poland, uh, I think it was three years ago, and I was showing him uh, photos of red deer from Killarney National mm. Park, and I said, oh, yeah, they're okay, right? And he was showing me pictures of uh, oh. of red deer from Poland, from Bieszczady Mountains and so on. And I asked him, why do you think that um, deer in, in Ireland, they're not so big, they don't have, so, you know, what are they missing? And he like straight away said, predators. Yeah. Predators, they're missing predators. That's why... That's why you know, the biggest the, and the best survived. Yes. And, uh, and only the biggest and the best yes. survive. And the biggest and the best is the best breeding stock. Yeah. And, that. and as I said, what I noticed even on the last time I was at the Red Deer Rut Walk mm-hmm. uh, with ourselves down in uh, Killarney, there's, some, there's a lot of deer, while people were saying how nice they were, I was thinking, that should be removed. That yeah. should be culled. That yeah. spiker is very poor quality. That should be removed. Yeah. And that if you if you have the biggest and the best there, it's yeah. natural to survive that, that, the harsh winters, yes. survive the wol- and, and, wolves and, that. and all that. And that. So what do you call? Even though the reds dominant stags will fight and the strongest get the most females, mm-hmm. 
there's always a spiker that will sneak in yeah, and, exactly. and, and take his place <laughs> when his back is turned and that. But um, uh, what do you call, you also have the impact at the Sika. While there's mm-hmm. no real evidence of hibernization yeah. going on in uh, Kerry yet, but yeah. if the poor quality deer and if you end up with smaller deer, mm-hmm. smaller females and younger calves coming into use earlier yeah. in the year, that's given the Sika more opportunity to breed with exactly. them because they're smaller. Exactly. They'll be able to cover them easier. Yeah. So it's best that the deer be kept healthy, big and strong yeah. as, as that because small, weak ones, a Sika stag will cover. You know, I question about this. Um, you know, the, the all the Sika in, in Wicklow, right? Maybe not all, but most of the Sika in Wicklow. You know the... Um, Will the Huntsman on the, on the Instagram? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I was, you know, he's posting photos of those Sikas, and I look at the mass of the antlers, and I said, I commented on one of his photos, like, I said, hey, Will, is that the hybrid with red? And he said, no, Tommy, he's pure Sika. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not the next one, but I'm looking at like a Sika doesn't have a it mass can, like that. It actually can be determined by a measurement. Uh, any of the um guys that measure heads um the guy like larry taff from cic he will measure and take a measurement from that head and that will determine whether it's sika or red because reds naturally have a longer face and a longer head but there's a certain measurement that can be taken from that head which will determine whether it's sika or whether it's so you're saying that the mass of the antler is not a um, good indicator like wicklow is famous for producing really good, good uh, Sika. But while there is a lot of hibernization taking Mm -hmm. place, they reckon there's no natural reds up in Wicklow now, the hybrids. If you go at any one time to the Glen of the Mall area Mm -hmm. and the military grounds, you'll see all the hybrids up there. That's what I'm saying. And that's what I heard that is the same way there is no pure Sika. And even though they're, you know, you can measure it, but there is like a little tiny part of the red deer blood in them because yeah, if you even you, like usually usually in reds uh the track that crosses over is the tail and mm-hmm. and that and the coloring around the rump that passes over in the reds and then in the reds okay. what passes over um with the seeker is um the v frown and the glands on the yes. hocks yeah yeah that that will pass over if you see a hybrid it it carries both and the, the distinct facial features will it be on both but um as i say if you brought the head and you wanted to know whether it was a pure seeker mm-hmm. an expert someone like um as i say larry taff from uh, cic he will tell you yeah fairly quickly and he he his measurement is quite precise and he will tell you if if it was hybrid by taking a measurement which it has Mm -hmm. to fall into a certain category now i myself i'm not a trophy hunter um i i keep i keep very few trophies a trophy Mm -hmm. to me is a memory Mm -hmm. um usually of something good that happened or people i was with Mm -hmm. Uh, it's not about the mass of the antlers Mm -hmm. i have shot some very worthy trophies in my over 30 years of stalking I but bet. the heads i've kept are quite modest mm-hmm. oh, really? <laughs> quite modest heads yeah um and they just bring me back to a a time where i was with good friends or i took a really good exactly. shot or something 
and that's the memory attached to it. That's a, that's, that, a, that's a common theme that that's really what the trophy is. The that's history, what it is. The, the history. history of you it. look at this and, and, like, and you like you said, you remember what it happened on that. The memory, exactly. That's, that's, and 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 that's it. Um, as I say, I never class myself as a trophy hunter. While mm. I have nothing against mm-hmm. trophy hunting and trophy hunting to acquire good trophies is a dedication mm-hmm. and you pass on a lot of animals waiting for that yeah. one noble animal that you want mm-hmm. to call yeah. a worthy trophy yeah. and that it's not for me but for some people that's what they're about and I've no problem with that yeah. that's it that's yeah. a different a different kind of sport trophy sure. hunting sure listen and then finally do you feel like so I, I give a little bit of the of the intro to my thought you know I've spoken a lot with people who are very much on onto rewilding, and this is a subject of boar and, yeah. and, and wolves and also and so on and so forth. And part of me feels like hunters should be close to that subject, and should the reason being is that if the introduction of wolves or lynx or whatever other animal will finally happen, if Hunter's not going to be kind of involved in the process from the very beginning. Then they kind of going to be, you know, left behind. Mm. They will have no say. And that brings me to kind of the feeling, and I'm sure you have that, or maybe you're going to comment in a second, that hunting as a lifestyle and hunting as an activity is is kind of under pressure. It's kind of under, under scrutiny. There is more and more of these anti-hunting movement yes. and, and people who, you know, they're, they're coming often from, you know, lack of information, lack of exposure, lack of education. Um, but that doesn't matter if their mind is closed, right? Hmm. And so what you, what, what's your comments on that? Is, is that what you feel as well? And what I, I, do, I definitely do feel... Um, that the hunting community is is becoming under pressure. Um, like a good hunting Facebook page uh, might acquire membership of maybe three, maybe 4,000, which is a good hunting page here. Mm-hmm. That's a good number of people to be on a hunting page. But if you go into any of the anti-hunting pages, mm-hmm. even here in Ireland, you'll see 16, 20,000. Mm-hmm. So it's beginning to look like hunters are in the minority mm-hmm. um most people but they go, are right they, yeah, they, they are. are without a doubt tommy without a doubt the hunters are in the minority so that's why i'm saying it's our responsibility to portray what we do correctly to the public yeah it's it's not it's not a bloodlust it's not it's not this thing to kill and and that it it involves a few things it's it's for some people it's tradition their family, their father hunted, and his father hunted. It's traditional. Some people just get into it and they like the outdoor life and mm-hmm. they like going out and harvesting their mm-hmm. own meat mm-hmm. for the freezer mm-hmm. and they want to know where their meat has come from, that they've done this, they've prepared it, and they're feeding it to their family. Exactly. And, and, that, and that, that's a very positive way of looking at a hunting. And, uh, but um, uh, it's our responsibility to portray hunting as 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 not just recreational or not just a sport but it's a way of uh controlling deer numbers it's a way of uh providing food for our families and it's a way of looking after 
the environment and the habitat in which deer exist on. The habitat, I, I think the habitat is the biggest thing. Yeah. That's, a, that's that. the biggest thing. And that's why I'm kind of keeping close eye on, you know, these talks about reintroduction of walls and so on, because mm. these are these are impacts on the habitat. And, yeah. you know, I, I would love to see deer organizations, stalkers organization kind of talking about it. Even like, you know, let's yeah. let's talk with the, with the likes of Irish Wildlife Trust and... Mm. Even for the perspective to have the voice, just to, you know, be there and like, hey, these are hunters and they also yeah. kind of talking about it. And but that's what I also say to hunters. I says, I says, um, if you if you come on board and join an organization and with the Wild Deer Association, as I mentioned earlier, you'll have a voice and your opinion mm -hmm. will be heard. And your opinion will go in front of a committee. And if it's a good idea or a good proposal, it will go forward. But if you're not, if you're not, if you're just sitting in the background and complaining that nothing is done about this, nothing yes. is done about that. We as a hunting organization are a voice for hunters. And for the members that we have, we, I feel at the moment we're representing them really well. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and we're providing uh, services for them with butchery days, giving advice, running things for them. And uh, so, as I say, don't be on the outside. The more people that are in organizations and the bigger hunting organizations become more of a voice. Yeah. One person has no say when you go to speak on something, but an organization with numbers can mm -hmm. impact. And, yeah. uh, and that's when laws are made that interested bodies or bodies that represent hunting or interested parties are invited to these so as i say instead of complaining that nothing's been done or this join part of an organization and that give your opinion you have a voice there is a committee your proposal will be put forward and if it's a good idea it'll be adhered to yeah. so that's yeah. the idea of Dira, just that's the worst to promote thing, right? everything. To so sit in the back seat and complain. That's yes. the worst, that's the worst that's, thing. That's, that's, that's that worst. can be a bit, there can be a lot of that. Yeah. A lot of that. But um, as I say, we are in a minority. But even as I say to guys on Facebook, by all means, if you want to put up a post of um, an animal that you harvested, make it eye appealing. Do not have gore shots. Yes. And uh, do not represent the hunting with gore and blood and mm -hmm. that um, presented well. I gl I'm, glad, well. I'm glad you mentioned that. I'm glad you mentioned that because that's, you know, I've, I've, this, is, this is a story I've, I've, I've looked up. Obviously, when I was starting, you know, I was looking at all the photos that I can because I'm analyzing them and looking at it. And I'm scrolling through my Instagram timeline and I see the photo and my first reaction is like, oh my God, what, the, yeah. what happened there? Like, yeah. like a bloodbath, yeah. right? Oh, right. And I'm looking at that photo and I see, okay, a shot placement is perfect, right? And so I'm, I'm looking at it and clearly the deer was hit straight into the heart. It dropped on the spot. Obviously all the blood flowed yeah. out of it. That's why it looks so bad. So from the humane perspective, everything is perfect. Yeah. Great shot placement, yeah. quick humane kill, animal, like great. But the visually, visually, it's, it's horrific. And yes. people who are just scrolling through Instagram, they're not going to do this no. analysis like, oh, what is the shot placement? No. They're just going to see like, oh my God, those bloodlusting, subhuman, yes. whatever yes. epithets. That, and that's, so that's why it's important. Like, okay, 
showed it to your buddies who you know what they they know what's up yeah but if you're putting that in public yes just 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 that makes this yeah. bad name for hunters for like hunters. Well, what is as, this? as i said gore shots head shots things like that should never be in the public forum mm-hmm. and that uh, you know yeah. and if you're going to present something uh, present because it well. it's the present nice. it let's, well. fa- let's face get, it it's not nice behind it hold it um, if there's blood on it covered with a branch or a piece of grass or something and, and present the animal well harvest it if its tongue is out put its tongue back in its mouth mm-hmm. present it well and yeah. make it um, make it easier for the yeah. public but as I say um, the way it's gone we hunters are in a major, uh, minority yeah. and uh, the anting hunting is gathering paces with some extremist groups coming on board mm-hmm. we have hunt saboteurs mm-hmm. and all this thing going on mm-hmm. and they're gaining ground whereas mm-hmm. we're losing ground mm-hmm. and that uh, but a lot of it is lack of education mm-hmm. and that and lack of understanding and as i call it some of them suffer from what's called bambi syndrome yeah. now like we all, even us hunters can admire the beauty of a live deer. And uh, it is a beautiful and noble animal. And especially, there's nothing more noble than a huge big fallow buck or a huge big seeker stag or red stag. They are noble and beautiful animals. And we all admire them. But at the same time, it's a responsibility of people, not just hunters, of people that meant to maintain, number one, numbers, to make them acceptable. Uh level for farming agriculture uh forestry and that and also the number reduction benefits the deer and uh, and the proper culling of the deer benefits the herd yeah and that so but a lot of them just think we're out just killing killing deer and that but it's not so simple so Mm. we hope to bring forward in the future more educational and make it open to the public and discuss what hunting yeah. and deer management yeah. is about. And and that's why, you know, in this podcast, I'm I'm not shying away from any outdoors subjects, yeah. right? And I'm talking, you know, equally to people who are, um, you know, working with wounded animals mm. and, and equally with hunters and so, you know, because I think that ultimately it's outdoors, right? Yes. It's, and it's called outdoors. So I, I hope that if, even if there's a one person who kind of, you know, will be open up, to another ideas is great and look when i talking to those people i was talking uh, i think a year ago to a lady from uh irish wild rehabilitation ireland yes right and you know they're rehabilitate foxes for example knowing good and well that they're gonna spend a lot of time and effort on bringing fox back to the environment and that fox can be shot the next day yes. right and I had a great conversation with her and, and she wasn't really like a, you know, or anti-hunting, whatever. No. It was like understanding. So I think the more people are actually doing something with wildlife, are actually going out, they're more able to understand and understand the nuance. Mm. You know, the worst thing is like when someone sits just behind a computer and never saw a deer and yeah. never saw anything other than a rat. Mm. And has a strong opinion about That's, this yeah, or that, yeah. you know. That without, without ever, as I said, there's always both sides. And, mm. uh, but a lot of people come on board, as I said, due to Bambi syndrome. Mm-hmm. And that were, that. But if, if they actually listened to someone who knows what they're on about and the reasons behind it, and there is genuine reasons, not make-up reasons for a bloodlust, mm. genuine reasons as why this is required to be done, they would have form a different opinion. Absolutely. I know. 
Yeah. And and uh, what do you call? We do get questioned on on from people non hunters as to why and what, and we always give them an honest response. Yeah. An honest response, and hopefully we make sense and get through to them yeah. that um, this is required. Yeah. This is is required. It benefits both agriculture, the economy, the hunter, and road users. Yes. Like that's becoming a problem. And even recently, there was um, it made headlines in AgriLand about uh, TD calling for a serious call in Tipperary mm-hmm. due to road traffic accidents. Yeah. Like and um, that's serious. Like, it it, is it, serious it's like, a, it's a serious when it, when a deer you know hit, you hit the car you know and you know, goes through the windscreen and goes through the windscreen. There could be like. Mm. Two dead people yeah. in that car just just because that deer just went through the entire well, length of the car. Road, road traffic incidents are becoming uh, more frequent, due, mainly due to the fact of deer are being spread and turning up in more areas. Mm. So those accidents are becoming more frequent, uh, and that. But I don't know of a fatality yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there there is a lot of um, accidents taking place where deer have been struck and yeah. damage to property which yeah. is, is you'd feel sorry for the um the driver of really? the car it, his car is damaged and ask him after that what he thinks of deer yeah yeah you know? exactly he won't, he won't be happy you know just to just to wrap it up um well i when i attended uh rot walk and it's obviously great educational event um you know my feeling after that was it was great but that information was passed to all the people who already knew that. Hmm. Are there any plans to go out to non-hunting audience? That, that we hope that what we're about and what we're thinking, and, and I propose it even to our chairman today, is further an education as to what we do, and especially young people. Mm-hmm. Young people are the future. Hunter recruitment. Yes. Whether they become hunters or not, young people are the future. It should not, hunting should not be closed to anyone and mm-hmm. should be an open and welcoming door, especially to young people. Because without the young people coming on board and people being introduced, it will fade away. Yep. It'll become, and otherwise, what my worst fear is, it'll become exclusive or it'll be only up to contractors. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's good while they increase in it, but any young person that has an interest in deer stalking or getting in and finding out what deer and deer management is all about, and I think the future of deer stalking in Ireland is, is education and broadening people's minds as to what should be done and how it should be done and, and the reasons for doing it. And uh, and I think if we bring the young people in on it and young people on board. I think that's a very positive thing for the future of the sport. Absolutely, absolutely, David. Uh, to wrap it up, tell us uh, how how people can find uh, uh, Wild Deer Association of Ireland, where to find you, and and how to get involved and how to become a member. Yeah, no problem, Tommy. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. We have an open page. And on the open page under the heading of shop, there is a PayPal facility there. And you can join there by just paying through PayPal and giving your name and address. And then your proposal will go to our committee and you'll be approved and a membership card will be issued. And you'll be updated on all future events and any deer related matters. Mm-hmm. And that, um, 
Uh, we also have a website that has just been constructed and it's almost mm. complete. Oh. And you can visit uh, our website and you'll get a lot of information as to what we're about. It's been added to, on a weekly basis and um, you can uh, look at that. And you, we have we run a series of open events as well. And you okay. can come along and meet the people. And, uh, and you'll see most of the people there are absolutely top-notch people and who are only too willing to share and answer any question that you might have and uh, and as i said the wild deer association of ireland now is a members organization with each member having a say into its running and their opinion is always welcome that's perfect david thank you very much for your time okay no problem tommy pleasure you just listened to an archived episode of the tommy's outdoors conservation and science podcast i invite you to take a moment and listen to one of the most recent episodes. I'm sure you'll enjoy it.